Listener Production. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Most of the things we do in life come with risk. Playing sports, walking in the rain, driving a car. There's no way to completely eliminate risk without completely avoiding the activity altogether. And convincing people not to drive a car to work, well, good luck with that. So, what do we do? We reduce the risk. I'm sure you can all remember your parents telling you to put on your helmet, wear your seatbelt, or, for the love of God, wear a raincoat when it's raining. And for good reason. All of these are pretty effective at preventing the common cold and saving lives. Similar to this is our sexual health. Sex is a natural, normal, health-benefiting part of life. And thanks to contraceptives, the risk of unplanned pregnancies and the transmission of STIs is significantly reduced, some by up to 99%. The most famous contraceptive of them all, the condom, the main actor in reducing STIs globally. But... The condom is more of a notorious figure. You either dislike them or love them. And data shows that the majority of us do indeed dislike them with a decline in use overall amongst adolescents and adults since 2006. Why? Well, some of us are forgetful and don't want to ruin the moment. Some people can also feel pressured by a partner to forgo a condom. But the resounding reason? They just don't feel very good. And at the risk of sounding like your high school PE teacher, rising STI rates and unintended pregnancies have major health and societal impacts. It might sound trivial, but at the crux of it, condoms actually can save lives. So... How do we encourage people to wear condoms? Well, biotech company Udemon Technologies might have the answer. They are changing the way we think about materials, changing a need to into a want to. Hi, I'm Zoe Callister-Hakewell and welcome to Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. So let's start at the beginning. Condoms were invented in 1855, made from rubber. Despite opposition, their use became widespread and the condom market grew. When latex came around in the 1920s, a cheaper and easier to manufacture material, the market exploded. And when soldiers came back from World War I carrying syphilis, um, largely due to the fact that America and Britain failed to issue them, their importance was cemented forever. But when penicillin and the pill became widespread, condom use plummeted until the emergence of HIV AIDS. Uh, I saw the fear in the community and then I saw the fear and the prejudice from the wider community. And then I saw something amazing in Australia and that was a huge outpouring and outreach of humanity and then a leadership of medical response so powerful that it actually was world-leading. This is Greg Fisher. You're involved with Qtopia. Tell me a little bit about what that is. 
Uh, yes, I'm the inaugural Chief Executive Officer of Utopia Sydney. And Utopia was established as a queer museum, so a museum representing the LGBTQIA plus community, but also the wider community. So we consider ourselves a pride museum, one which takes into account people with disabilities, the straight community and the interaction between all. It's about education, it's about celebration, it's about awareness. It's about uh, having a place where people can feel safe to come in and learn about their identity. Qtopia has a permanent exhibition dedicated to Ward 17 South of St Vincent's Hospital, the first specialised HIV AIDS unit in Australia, with the aim to educate observers on the societal, health and mental health impacts of the HIV AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, affects the body's ability to fight infection and can lead to AIDS, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, an incurable disease that has killed thousands of people in Australia and hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. I have experiences of people who were very dear friends who died of AIDS. I had uh, many other friends who suffered significantly uh, with disease related to HIV, some of whom have lived and some of whom unfortunately have not. Stigmatisation with uh, respect to mm. HIV AIDS uh, was just so prevalent at the time. I mean, you, you, you did not want to tell anybody that you had HIV. Back then, of course, you didn't have to tell anybody because the, your face told it. Uh, the physical change of somebody who had HIV AIDS originally was so extreme and so horrific that there was no questioning what was wrong with the person. That doesn't happen now because of the of the medications, um, but the I remember uh, when AIDS first started, that persecution against gay people and discrimination against gay people was almost allowed. Mm. There were all sorts of things that uh, were in the media at the time as facts that were you know, that truly did create that stigmatization. What about that mental health component? The mental health component was so significant. Just put yourself in the position. uh, You're in a community, a gay community, that is now being seen as a killer community. Mm. Your colleagues at work are scared of you. Your family is ashamed of you. Your friends don't want to know you. If you get sick, it's because you deserved it. You, you, you were acting like a deviant. So combine that all together with actually being very unwell physically and the mental health issues at the time were significant. Isolation, hopelessness. You know, I don't even think that one needs to think uh, of statistics, but rather think as a humanitarian and put yourself in that position and ask, well, what do you think the mental health position would be if you were subjected to that? I wanted to ask you, what was available in terms of contraception during this period of time? Uh, well, I mean, the big thing was condoms. Yeah. Um, and uh, still is in terms of AIDS, uh, protection from AIDS. Mm-hmm. I mean, before HIV AIDS, nobody bothered with protection mm. because it felt better without it. Mm. And then we went through a generation of having to get used to the fact that condoms was going to be the only way you could have sex and not drop dead. Mm. And now 
there are pills available that make it impossible to get HIV, and if you've got HIV, not get AIDS. But that still doesn't rule out the need for condoms Mm. because, uh, and in fact, what has happened is that as a result of people now not using condoms, well, when they don't use condoms, guess what? There's more STIs. So I'm Deborah Bateson. Uh, I'm now working as a, what we call a professor of practice. It's a very exciting role at the University of Sydney because it's about bringing the real world into the university. Professor Deborah Bateson is a reproductive health expert. She's a doctor, a researcher, an educator and an advocate. So one of my main things is to actually bring, make things understandable for people and to support people. And it's really around equity. So I work a lot with marginalised groups, people with disability, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And it's about bringing people along the journey, the health journey. So tell me about condoms. So condoms, interesting. (laughs) Condoms, they've been around for a very long time in various forms. So look, they are very effective at preventing STIs, including chlamydia and gonorrhea. Chlamydia is certainly the most common STI uh, in Australia and we know, you know, the majority of chlamydia infections are in young people under 29. And then gonorrhea is certainly, you know, an important STI to consider because we know it's increasing actually in in young heterosexuals. Certainly, you know, it's quite a common infection in in men who have sex with men. Uh, And, you know, it's an STI that can can cause long-term damage. They protect against HIV, they protect against hepatitis B and and uh, hepatitis A, very important. They really are the best protection we've got for STIs. So I think, you know, we just really want to ensure, we know that, you know, ensure that people feel very positive about them. It is still the number one, I guess, response or the number one suggestion used for uh, making sure you don't get AIDS. Uh, according to everything I've ever read about AIDS, response. The use of condoms has been the most important public health response to HIV AIDS. And of course, now the response has gone on to Mm. other things such as the provision of of PrEP and the like. So what are some of the barriers that you would say would be relevant to misuse of condoms? I think there's many barriers. So I think one of the barriers to use them is just not carrying them. So again, we're wanting to, to support women in carrying carrying condoms. We know that sometimes there's been shaming, you know, or feeling a stigma around carrying condoms Mm. uh, as a female. And that's, you know, that's something we absolutely have to overcome. And so certainly some of the research we've done with older, older women, you know, they just say, look, I can't, I feel I can't sort of say, look, you know, here's the condom. That's not mm. something they can do. So I think that's one barrier. But there's also those barriers of, of feeling that, you know, the sex isn't going to be as good, it's not good to have the same sensitivity, mm. that it's going to kill the moment, that, mm. uh, that really it's, you know, it's not an attractive attractive thing. That sort of sex in a raincoat still lives on and that's passed <laughs> down the generations, you know. It's, yeah. So even before someone's even thought about using a condom, they've heard about the negative, negative aspects of, of condom use. Primarily, a condom is a it's a class two medical device. It's pretty unique in that it's a consumer based device, but it has to function as a contraceptive. So it has to be a barrier against primarily sperm, uh, as well as disease causing agents and whatnot. Revolutionising the condom is no easy feat, but that's not stopping CEO and co-founder of Unimon Technologies, Robert Gorkin. They are tended to be looked at as have-tos versus want-tos. There's a reason why 
there hasn't been much change in the last 50 to 100 years in terms of, of the actual materials. And, and uh, one is because they function the way they do. Uh, most condoms are latex. Those who've used them know the limitations. They, the, the biggest complaint is an interruption or a lack of, of sensation. But there's also issues like um, smells, adverse smells and tastes, and major allergy issues. Condoms are just one part of that whole picture of how you and your partner will deal with contraceptive issues. If we can improve all of these tools, that's actually what we should be doing, then we provide um, options for everyone at every stage of life in every relationship to have the ideal sexual and reproductive health, which also goes into mental health, but also goes into just your, you know, your overall health. It shouldn't just be sexual and reproductive health. It's actually being healthy. It's a whole part of that. We need to re remarket because you know, obviously, condoms can be a sexy thing as well. Taking mm. control of your your sexual health is mm. a is a sexy, attractive thing to do. Uh, but you know, those those can be the barriers. And look, for some people, just access can be challenging. We know in universities in in some countries, you know, you've got condom vending machines, you've got well, you've got pregnancy test vending machines and emergency mm. contraception vending machines. And sometimes, you know, we just need to make sure that we get rid of those unnecessary barriers. Mm. Statistics show that 90% of the 35 billion condoms that are made every year and used across the world, in every continent, you know, just in, in every case, that um, are, are latex. And, you know, and a balloon is a balloon is a balloon. We can do certain things to make it feel better. We could do definitely we can improve it. But there's only a certain amount that we can tweak or adjust or, or whatnot that can, can make that material, that legacy material, improve. Definitely a conversation that I've had in my group of friends is the discomfort associated with condom use. Yeah. And particularly if you have a latex allergy. Absolutely. Um, that's a huge part of that. And then it's almost like, well, what are the options if you if you don't necessarily want to go on hormonal treatment every day and if you don't want to have something inserted into your body? You know, it's quite hard to um, find a unique contraception option that suits everyone. You're absolutely right around male condoms. They can be uncomfortable. And the key thing for people to know with the, the latex condoms or is that they can be susceptible to, well, certainly to oils and, you know, there's certain things that can in interfere with the condom and, and break it down so they're not going to work. So that's important. But I agree with you. There are these sort of perceptions, but sometimes it's people who've heard about it from somebody else. And yes. so, you know, it's it, we do True. want people to ensure that they... You know, they understand their own bodies and I think that health literacy around, yes. you know, genitals and genital health and understanding your anatomy is so yes. important. So tell me about Geldum, the new condoms that you're developing. What our condom can do or what we're, we're building the condom to do is to, one, feel better. So fundamentally it is more like natural tissue because it is a water-swollen polymer network, which is the same thing as skin. So to feel more like natural skin and, and including internal skin, as well as no smells, no tastes, no allergies, the ability to adjust features like to mimic different types of skin, the ability to load compounds inside. So things like everything from pleasure enhancers to anti-STD compounds. Also being appliable to a range of different lubricants. So there's actually silicon water base and a few others certain uh, condoms like uh, latex, you can't use oil-based lubricants. It'll actually degrade it. Uh, a lot of people don't know all these kind of nuances. So there's a much more of a wider spectrum. So really it's a platform 
you know, we're not just building one condom, we're, we're building the future of condoms that can be more customized, personalized, and deliver a more interrupted, uh, better sensation and experience overall for both members of the couple. Unimon Technologies are working in the area of material science, developing those water-swollen polymer networks or what's called tough hydrogels that feel just like skin. The goal is to make people excited to use them, so you're reaching for them instead of pretending like they don't exist. So, protected sex feels as if it was, in fact, unprotected or even better. This type of redevelopment is the first in over a century, offering safe sex options with no adverse odours or tastes and no allergic reactions. And this is a platform technology, meaning it can be adapted and built upon to suit the individual. It's a very safe material for sensitive areas of the body. Yeah, it's kind of like a a contact lens. For anyone who wears contact lenses, you know that they rip real easily, um, or they can rip. Um, They do a great job, but they can rip. Our material is, is more stretchy. So it does that same, it has a, the same clarity and this nice soft pliable skin-like texture, but it has uh, the ability to stretch a bit more and be elastic. I think the statistics are uh, about a 1 million STIs or sexually transmitted infections or, or STDs um, are diagnosed every single day. We still think that, you know, going to something that more accurately mimics what the body is doing and that you have a better response to and that overcomes lots of these other contextual issues with the experience is the best way to go. Condoms have come a long way and they should continue to progress yeah. uh, and continue to, to transform to give that optimum sensation yeah. and at the same time allow safety mm. with sex because mm. You know, there are so, unless you are in a completely monogamous relationship, you are always at risk. But condoms don't just protect against STIs, they also prevent unintended pregnancies. And unintended pregnancies largely lead to abortions, which, as a medical procedure, comes with significant health risks and stigma. And access to this procedure varies greatly depending on your individual circumstance. We want women to be able, if they made that decision for themselves uh, with an unintended pregnancy, we want them to be able to access an Mm. abortion easily. And still, that is not the case. So we've got, you know, public hospitals, uh, you know, a majority of public hospitals are not providing, uh, you know, easy access to abortions. I have to advocate, you know, a lot Mm. for patients to actually access an abortion. We've got medical abortion now uh, that GPs can provide, but we know that There are challenges uh, in feeling supported. You can feel isolated. It's still a very stigmatised area of health. So we need to normalise it and make it less stigmatised. There's 120 million unplanned pregnancies across the world every year, and that's actually increased. And there's this huge burden, not only on the health systems and whatnot, but personal and relationship and and, um, the cost of, of these things. So... Um, it's a major, the non-use of contraceptives or not having access or not having education, all these things uh, are a major impact on the world today. We know from our research there's whole 
regions in Australia where people just, women can't access abortions. They've mm. got to travel uh, and the time is, you know, this is a time-sensitive event and costs go up. Really, you know, the new technologies that Robert's, you know, <laughs> invented yeah. and his partners are, are just so exciting because, they, yeah. again, that material science is so exciting mm. for condoms, for all sorts of things because it gives new ways forward, you know, with condoms. People want to use that transmit yeah. body heat, all of those things that can be seen as, perceived as negatives, yeah. uh, you know, potentially can be overcome. So when did this all start for you? Um, I was a researcher at the University of Wollongong um, we were actually 3D printing um, new implants and prosthetics. So we, and I was an engineer on the project, bringing in new bioprinters and 3D printers. The most unlikely and probably unsexy advocate for safe sex was uh, Mr. Bill Gates, and, and more appropriately, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation had a call for next generation condoms. The purpose was to look for really revolutionary new ideas that could increase uptake and use. And obviously the Gates Foundation has a, a core interest in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, or it did at the time, still does. We were working on all this really nice 3D printed implants and next generation prosthetics and working with materials that were very skin-like and very tissue-like. And so uh, I approached some of the material scientists and whatnot and said, look, can we take what we're doing, which is really great work and, and hopefully we'll help people in the future, but can we just replace latex with a, something called a tough hydrogel? So something that felt and act more like skin. And that was really the catalyst. That was the start of um, a concept that we pitched and we were lucky enough to get some seed funding and it turned out to where we are today. Tell me about your really unique manufacturing process. The way condoms are normally made um, you know, they will tap a latex trees. It's a labor intensive as well as there's lots of environmental impacts, yeah. here, water, energy, all sorts of stuff in there. The materials, these tough hydrogels, which are synthetic, but we can uh, essentially use them in a way that expands automation. And what we've done is create an end to end production system. So we leverage industry 4.0 which is combining some of these smart materials with robotic automation, internet of things, you know, advanced data to modernize content manufacturing. You know, it's the first uh, that we've seen in the world and we've embedded that into, you know, a clean room in a container. So we, we have a, a mobile condom factory and that allows us to have, to refine and do R&D on a level that is unprecedented. So we can change a parameter and we can measure, you know, 150 different outcomes and see how changing that parameter affects production or performance. Mm. We're taking techniques that have been used historically, so this dipping into vats and all sorts of stuff. We've just created more automation around it and containerized it. Mm. And then this is enabled by the new material itself. So there are certain processes that you can't do and have to be disconnected if you're using latex and there, we can now do this in different ways. Mm. So our hope and our, our activities at the moment are building the capacity for these systems to be scaled, mm. to then be dropped in to geographies of interest, you know, co-located in different factory spaces and whatnot, um, and eventually then used as a guide or as a template or as a, to assist the actual rollout 
of scale of manufacturing systems to meet what we intend to be the demand when everyone changes over from latex yeah. into these things that we're going to have to make billions of them. Billions of condoms are already produced each year because, well, nearly everybody participates in sex and for good reason. Sex is good for your health. So what are some of the psychological benefits of someone actually having sex? <laughs> well, I think sex, you know, it, it, it makes people, well, it does actually make people feel good because yeah. you know it's, you know, all those hormones, etc., are all released as long as you're not feeling anxious and we don't want anyone to, mm. to, you know, to feel anxious when they're having sex. We want people to, to feel pleasure. Mm. And so I think, you know, it makes you feel accepted and, you know, dare I say it, loved, but you may have mm. sex for lots of different reasons, for pleasure. You know, that's what we miss out on in school education because right. there's just nervousness around yeah. going there. People will often say, oh, we talk about what you can't be doing and what you shouldn't be doing and what you'll catch and, you know, mm. if, what if you get pregnant. But in fact, what we should be talking about in an age-appropriate way, but yes. uh, we should be talking about the benefits and the pleasures associated with sex and whatever that sex looks like to you. I think of a lot of the TV shows where they do or movies that portray sex as an act and it's not very sexy, I suppose, to pull out a condom and put that on. It generally seems to happen quite seamlessly and they can go into multiple positions and nothing, you know, it doesn't actually interfere with the whole flow of everything. And I think that somehow is obviously sometimes maybe unrealistic and potentially builds up this expectation that can also really affect confidence as well when you're in that moment. Oh, ab absolutely. And yeah. again, on that, we did the survey of older men uh, using internet dating. And in fact, you know, that absolutely shines through that, yeah. you know, and, and from the, you know, the female perspective as well, they worry about the, the you know, their partner losing an erection, yeah. but men certainly having that anxiety around uh, around performance, if you like to call it. I agree with you in the movies. I mean, you know, there's a lot to answer for. But for, for young people, of course, where that's their, the main place that they may be getting their, you know, their information, their information mm. then it can be really challenging and, and set, the, you know, understanding the norms can be really, can be really difficult. There's a disconnect from the, an act, which is very, it's passionate, it's emotional, it's, you know, emotions, and it, it's raw versus something about calculated risk and uh, rational decisions and also wanting to, to uh, you know, expectations with pleasure and everything else. So are wanting to provide pleasure or get pleasure. It's very non-medical. Again, these, this is a mass marketed product. It's a mass consumer product, but there's so many nuances and so many different preferences and customizations and everything else that's possible, but it's impossible with the current condoms. You can't, actually get there. With ours, there may be more opportunities as a platform. It's not just one condom, it's a, a future of condoms to explore some of these and create better relationships with the product itself. So why has it taken so long for someone to actually look at this area of innovation? Yeah, look, um, I think from the, the condom perspective, it's, it's not that they haven't been trying. Um, and I uh, we mentioned before that latex particularly works very well and has been is used in the production of 35 billion plus condoms a year, right? So there's these existing systems that are legacy systems that mm. are very efficient. And these are products that have marginal returns on investment. And if you think about changing that whole system, well, this is a medical device. 
medical devices can be tens to hundreds to billions of dollars to develop, if it, particularly if there's a drug in it, over a period of 10 years. So unless you really have a game changer or something that's going to like really improve sales, well, you just cannibalized into your existing stream. This space, you know, sex tech, if you want to call it that way, or even just condoms, it's hard to fund. It becomes political. People just don't venture, well, it's venture capital or, or government or others that just kind of don't want to talk about it. I think we've put it into a box where it's sexual and reproductive health versus just health. It needs to be just health. Stigmatization, I think, across the whole of sexual and reproductive health, well, aspects of reproductive health. And contraception funding is also not, you know, not heavily invested in. There's a lot of regulations around it. It's why we don't have the male contraceptive pill or the male injection, because, again, that investment is just not there. Okay, so for those brave enough to venture into sex tech, what are those regulatory processes? It's where it gets fun. Um, so that's actually, it's the biggest thing because it's a class 2B medical device. There's a very clear pathway for most of the tests and um, evidence that you need to get through regulatory process to get it cleared for market. A lot of that has to do in the preclinical stage in terms of making sure that the condoms would work in your con- like the actual conditions of having sex. Um, and they do that through tests like inflation. So they blow these things up and, and make sure that the volumes are, are standardized. They do tensile testing, they do barrier testing, they do all these sort of things. So it's really important as a new condom and particularly a new material condom to go through that stringent body of evidence to prove that when you're manufacturing, everything's going to act how you think it will act. And the next step is once you can you can do that is you get into clinical and clinical is well you have to use it in the actual conditions of use so this is couples uh you recruit couples and they go out and have sex and they're mainly looking for things like slippage breakage and irritation so it's very medical it's it's very device specific on some of those metrics However, that's also the biggest opportunity to look at preference and to look at comparison. This is that Coke, Pepsi kind of evaluation that is probably more important. I mean, it's got to function. It's just got to work. That's just a, a given. But in terms of is the experience better, that's what's actually driving the innovation and will drive like why it's going to why somebody would want to put a, go through all the effort to put a condom onto the market. And then that, with a lot of manufacturing evidence, gets put through a regulatory process and submitted into um, a jurisdiction. So if it's in Australia, that would be the TGA, and in the US, it would be FDA. It's reviewed, and then you could essentially sell your product on, or someone could sell the product onto the market, barring that they've passed all the tests, they've passed all the evidence, and that they're consistently being able to show quality that is up to a level of expectation. Do you think these new types of condoms that are being made by Udemon Technologies are going to give people more confidence? Well, there's no doubt that uh, a, a new technologically advanced condom is going to give people confidence to have sex and to have sex enjoyably and to take uh, away anxiety. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you know, we all want to have sex. Mm. And uh, but we also don't want to get sick or mm. pregnant or whatever the situation is. So yeah. if you have something that has that can give people that confidence, mm. 
and improves the the usability and mm. the sensation, I say keep developing. Mm. Yeah, well, it's almost interesting how something that could be so positive and, and pleasurable is also associated with something so risky and terribly harmful, you know, particularly to um, those more vulnerable populations that you did talk about. Well, that's right. So the sooner that we continue to advance uh, the uh, sensibility, if you like, of condoms, the better, yeah. because it is going to uh, be a win yeah. for everybody. everybody. As I said, everyone wants to have sex, doesn't matter, with their regional remote or in cities. Yeah. Everybody wants to have sex, Everybody, and the reality is people do not want to get sick. Mm. It will give people confidence and it will take away anxiety. Mm. That's why it's important. That's revolutionary. How does it feel to be pioneering something like this in the sex tech space? Yeah, look, I I feel it was um, definitely a career direction change. Like it was a uh, it was a disruption. It wasn't. I never would have expected myself to be where I am. Um, you know, five, seven, eight years ago, and just first throwing the idea around. I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by teams of good people um, that have helped bring this to uh, the level of readiness that it is and that we're, we're, we're going to be going into clinical very soon. Like we feel very um, honored and privileged to do that. It's been a hell of a lot of hard work to, to get here. I think it feels really good. I'll put it that way. Thanks to trailblazers like Rob who are charting this unexplored territory of medical innovation. People can continue to have confidence in their sexual and reproductive health whilst also satisfying the basic human need of pleasure and connection. But it's more than just that. The more conversations we have around sexual health, conversations like the one we've had today, the more we can destigmatize and normalize STIs and their impacts, creating a better, safer world for everyone. Beyond the Medicine Cabinet is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Kuyong Group. Hosted by me, Zoe Callister Hakewell. Audio by Kelly Falston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.